All right. Hey, happy Friday, everybody. We're uh, back for episode two of FinTech Fridays. I'm Brian View, president and COO of FinLocker. And with me today is Michael Kelleher, and we're going to have a, uh, just a couple guys chatting here, talking about all things FinTech and learn a little bit about Michael and what he's been up to. So, Michael, welcome to the second episode of FinTech Fridays. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on here and talk. So yeah, this is uh, this is uh, uh, a talk that uh, I've been doing now. You're the second episode, so we're we're just getting into the uh, the swing here. Um, I like to start off by just asking the guests how you think about or how you define fintech. It's such a widely used term. I think there's there's different applications for the term, and and people think about it differently. So I'm just curious uh, when you think of the term fintech, what does it mean to you? Yeah, I think. Where you came from obviously determines your definition of it. The engineering background, that group uh, defines it in, in such an elegant way. The way I see it is replacing the old way of doing things with the new way of doing things, but through technology, specifically financial technology. And it's as easy as it's either going to be software, user-facing, um, user interface, which is the side you know we started on, and then there's algorithms, which are going to help with efficiencies, uh, trying to accelerate, uh, reduce costs. The algorithm side um, is, is big on the robotics. We're seeing a lot of that, obviously, in our space. Um, and then the UX, UI is, I find it changing physical problems. Like you used to have to go to a scanner to upload a document, and there's now ways to to upload with using your phone directly into systems. So you're replacing not just the front end, but the back office at these financial institutions that have to take just little things like take a JPEG, like four of them, right? And, and no longer do they have to print it, then rescan it in, then upload it somewhere. So it's a lot of that physical uh, e-signatures is obviously huge in every industry. Um, and then I think the final part of FinTech obviously is security. So security is always evolving in, in what is necessary and ways to prevent fraud. And that's really where it all starts. Like FinTech, I believe, started with getting the end user to feel secure about the technology. That's the famous story with Amazon, right? Like how did Amazon get to where it's supposed to be? Someone famous said that. And you, you guess a million ways. But they really said it was that pivotal point where somebody felt comfortable putting their giving their credit card over the internet yep. because without that we never would have evolved to where we are today and i think secondhand but i always remember like my best friend growing up is just he was one of the last to like feel comfortable putting his credit card and it wasn't that long ago so like 2012 13 he's like i'm not putting my credit card online and look look where we are today so i think it's again making older processes um new processes with the idea of saving time, money, or, or bringing in new customers. Love it. Yeah, that, that covers such a, uh, a wide swath, right? And I, and I think you nailed it. I think it's, it is, it's a combination of user experience, uh, and it, it, but, it, but it started with you know, solving problems, right? Um, so you, you kind of uh, have been at this for a while um, at, the, at the both aspects of the front end from a UI UX, you know, consumer experience or originator experience, as well as solving, uh, solving for, for pain points early, 
in the mortgage process. Maybe talk a little bit about kind of kind of how you started in this space, what you what you did, what you kind of brought to market, and how that's evolved over time. Yeah, sure. And what I didn't know back then was just how far behind the mortgage industry was at accepting change or, or adopting software that represents change. I was uh, helping teach at a MBA student program at Boston College, and I was telling a young gentleman who wanted to be an entrepreneur, I said, look, the first eight years is, is very difficult. It's, it's hard. It's a grind. You're going to go, and, and there's going to be different parts of it that just don't make, it makes sense to you logically, but logically doesn't always sell. And he, you know, then he asked me, well, what happens after you know, the eight years? I said, I don't know. I've only been doing it for eight years. So <laughs> I started in 2013, and we came up with an idea of having really a second voice on the loan, lifting the cloak of mystery behind what is going on with a mortgage, the, the transparency piece. There had to be a better way to do it. And when production gets high, you sometimes need those second voices, especially back before all of this great automation and, and trid was happening. What we were encountering was a lot of people were getting their first mortgage in post Dodd-Frank world. So they would say, oh, the last time I did this, this didn't happen. Right. I'm going to go back to my old person. And, and from a sales perspective, once they say that, whether that person could do it your way or not, you've, you've already lost them. And so the process is too busy to be a second voice to say, you know, that they, sorry, it has to redisclose, redisclose because government just said so. And so we wanted to come up with a way to, to make that easier. And so then we decided it had to be a mobile app to really leave the mortgage industry. Uh, I didn't know rates would stay the way they would, work, <laughs> but full disclosure. And a lot of, and I had my originator license in the beginning, and then it's not like it is today. Like I see so many founders that still originate, but won't mention any names. But like lenders would be like, "Well, I'm not giving my database to an originator." Right. It just, it, just, it, it was different back then, right? So cold called our way into. It was also easier to get through gatekeepers. I, this was my ring, ring. Ring, ring. Hello. Yeah, uh, this is Michael uh, calling from Easy Mortgage Apps. I need to speak to whoever's in charge of your mobile app on the iPhone. Uh-oh. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, your, your, app, your, app's in the Apple, your app in the Apple store. Oh, I don't think we have one. I need to speak to somebody then. Oh, let me get you the president. I think they're in charge of Apple. <laughs> right through. You know, nowadays it takes about 100 cold calls and 18 LinkedIn messages. Right. Anybody out there that knows me probably gets a LinkedIn message from me from time to time. So it's been a long journey. Um, I think one area that we're learning now was we focused a lot on the end user, which is another kind of fintech term, right? User experience, the flywheel, like the end user will end up going around telling other people and, and coming back to you because we white label. Yeah. So we make the apps for the, the lenders and then their customers are the most important thing to us. But I think where we lost sight was our real customer is the loan officer and they need to figure out the adoption of the, the consumers. And that's an area where we're bouncing back now. Uh, not to say our loan officer options at the time weren't you know, on pace, but we really leaned into let's get thousands of customers for you on the app every day, life cycle of a loan. This is where it's going. But that loan officer adoption is very key in the mortgage industry. Yeah. And it's tough. Yeah, I think, um, you know, so I, I spent 
almost three decades on the primary side of the business and mortgage originations um, and uh, getting originators, whether they were our retail loan officers at the time or third party, you know, originators, mortgage brokers, mortgage correspondents, getting that frontline loan officer who's actually engaging with a consumer to adopt new technology, which oftentimes meant putting something in between what they know and feel comfortable with, which is their process, and and putting something in between like a mobile app, like a piece of technology. I mean, just think about uh, day one certainty, uh, how cutting edge this concept of digital asset verification was, you know, when, when it first came out. But the adoption rate initially, and even frankly, today, is pretty, pretty low. And, and I think a big part of that is overcoming the, this fear of the originator of something getting in the way of my transaction. So as you, as you brought your product to market, what, what were the things that you thought about? And how did you have to how did you work to overcome that that reluctance or that resistance by that that originator? I, I think part of it is and I don't mean this in a bad way, but like stop being so logical, or at least that's what um, mentors and advisors tell me. And so for me, like the logical way to sell an app today would be Garth Graham uh, just said that the lending industry is going to have to create more pre-quals and pre-approvals than they could ever imagine and ever thought possible before, right? Because the inventory is not there and therefore you're going to have to, deal with the emotion of your buyer not being able to get the home, have to reapply, the process getting longer, having to update, and hopefully, you know, you have items like FinLocker with an auto refresh. But if, if you don't, they have to then get over the documents, you have to recalculate, then more pre-approvals, more pre-approvals. Yeah. That's why loan officers deserve so much money. They don't talk about those stories, like of how many you have to do to get one. So the logical answer would be, how could you not have an app today, no matter what vendor you use, for your loan officers to issue pre-approvals and pre-quals right now for this summer because they're going to burn out, and they, they don't know why, and so they rely on you to, to help them there. But that logical answer, I, I know, is not going to get any more people to buy the app. And so I think a lot of it is... Just know your industry, right, and, and know how they work. So the lending industry is very 30-day driven. Yeah. What happened the last 30 days, let's go over the KPIs, you know, the key performance indicators. That's a clubhouse thing. I don't do – I try to get away from acronyms now. So <laughs> – or you look at – or they look at the next 30 days, right, as they're looking at everything. And so there's, there's items that are logical from how you live your life. And I think that's where I – I have difficulty because I am a big app user because because of who I am. I'm not a nine to five person. So I will download any app that can try and make me more efficient, whether it's taking notes or or trying to schedule calendars. And I'm bad at adoption just like them. Um, Meaning I'll not use this calendar and then try a new calendar. And that's probably not the right answer, but there are obvious um, apps items or app ways of you like the single sign on the face ID that the lenders really, uh, I find need to embrace. So I, long story short, I think it's, it's just know your industry. And in this case, the mortgage industry wants to get there, but 
it's talking to more than just the decision makers. Yeah. You, uh, you nailed something and, and it was, it just crystallized for me. Uh, so I appreciate that. Cause I, I, uh, I can't write this note down cause I don't want to look awkward, you know, scribbling here, but you just talked about this concept of, uh, needing to have this massive amount of pre-approvals in the market, right? So it's really all about the top of the funnel, right? That the top of the funnel for originators, especially in this challenged, uh, housing inventory market has never been more important. And I think, I think there's, there's the practical nature of what you described, which is, you know, starting, starting over every time I, I, as a buyer, every time I put an offer in, even when I'm severely overpriced and I still don't win the deal. Right. Um, the, the other side of it in, in this maybe ties into your, your logical statement is, an app or some kind of technology that a loan officer uses in this in this type of market really just becomes an extension of them. And there's only so much that we have as humans in terms of, you know, minutes in the hour, hours in the day, days in the week. And so if you can leverage technology, a mobile app as an example, as a way to extend your presence with consumers, that to me just makes a lot of sense. And have you seen, um, have you seen some adoption pickups given that people are starting to understand that they need to be able to lever themselves in a different way using technology? We've definitely seen a pickup in the, the pre-qualification pre-approval feature. Yeah. Like, and it's always customizing, right? So we have the ability to send the actual pre-qual and pre-approval they have today. In fact, it took years, but we can actually do both letters the opportunity that comes out of something like that is, is one, you have technology that can now give you time back. Uh, and two, you have opportunities where even though this new technology is here, even the ability, what's very popular with our platform and others, is to set the amount, whether it's in your LOS or in the app, so the realtor can just do it on, on the go. Yeah. Which makes sense because it eliminates the awkward – I think it's the – I always look at mobile as, or I try to when I'm selling it, is say, when you're in front of a computer, you really live in a vacuum compared to on a, on a mobile device. Mobile device has both the external environment that somebody's in, so they might pretend everything's all great, but they're actually trying to, uh, I'll just take it to the Finlocker world, but they might be trying to ver verify and get you over their assets while they're pushing their daughter at the swing set, yeah. right? There's a lot of things they could be distracted, and when they come back two seconds later, is it where it's supposed to be? Um, the other is like the, the psychological environment. If I need a prequal on a Sunday morning at 8.15 and I don't feel comfortable texting Brian at 8.15 on Sunday morning as a realtor, so I have to wait till 11.30, without you knowing it, you might not get the next deal yeah. because I like you so much, I'm not going to give you it. Meaning I like you so much, I don't want to wake you up. And so the ability to do that and take away this old school way of um, just kind of being real and saying, Brian, I need you to get up at 8.15. Like people would rather non-verbally work with somebody else and yeah. never get to it. And so that type of technology helps. But where, where there's also an opportunity is, and I interviewed uh, Jim Deach on Clubhouse the other night, and he talked about how loan officers are similar to airlines. And I don't want to steal his story, but essentially airline pilots get paid 200000 or more to do what now is just taxi the plane, 
and get it to 2,000 feet altitude and hit a button <laughs> and do nothing till it gets back down to 2,000, take over, land it, and taxi it. And they asked the, the top airline executives, according to Jim, who's written many books, so just to take his story, I'll give him some credit there. Yeah. It's because if, if S hits the fan, right, you want a human there. Yes. And so I, I think, even though it doesn't sound because we've been doing it so long, that, like, losing a bid for a home, after about two of those, that's the equivalent of, like, S hitting the fan, I think, for these customers, or it will be. Yeah. And they'll be glad they have a human there and didn't just push a button and get a mortgage. They'll be glad psychologically that they have somebody there to support them, somebody to say, look, I'm going to keep getting you those pre-approvals. We're going to get it. Let me tell you a story about somebody that missed out on a property, and guess what? That property ended up going uh, underwater, so it's not always, you know, or that one had termites. Yeah. Like, we're going to get this, and we're going to do it right. So I think in, in every opportunity to be more efficient, and you think you're losing it to technology, there's also the market changes, and there's the opportunity to bounce right back in and, and need a human. And I think you're going to need humans more than ever right now, but understand that that human connection could be – Technology could help with the awkwardness that has come, especially with millennials. 93% of their communication is nonverbal. Right. And it's like 7% external, 1% internal, meaning they're more afraid. They're as afraid to check a voicemail as a doorbell. <laughs> I love it. Uh, that, that, that is, uh, and that's so true. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm far from being a millennial, but I'm kind of the same way now. It's like, you just, it's so much easier just to do everything right here. Right. And, and, uh, you lose, you, you definitely lose the, uh, from a, from a, uh, mortgage process perspective specifically, if everything's done on that mobile app, you lose that empathy feature. And, and this is where we've started talking about this concept of high tech, high touch. That's the optimal consumer experience. Right. And, and this is no different than Jim's analogy of the pilot. It's the, the high tech is the, 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 the 85% of the flight that's on autopilot. The high touch is on the, the front end, the taxiing and, and getting that speed up so we can get the nose up in the air. And then the, of course the back end getting that rubber back on the ground. So um, when I think of our business, the mortgage industry, and I think of the consumer experience, it's clear that that the pandemic has accelerated, uh, con widely accelerated consumer acceptance of technology, right? From from everyone's, you know, grandmother who's had to get on a Zoom and, and have Easter and, and all the holidays via Zoom over the last 14 months. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's pushed into financial services with mobile deposits being much more, uh, you know, expected, not even accepted, but expected and, and, and moving money and all that. Um, but at the end of the day, especially in a market like we've been talking about where, where there's going to, it's going to take a few at bats to get a, get, get the bat on the ball with the inventory issue, having high touch support, high tech, I think is super important. And, and I think that's what you do with your app, right? It's you, you talked about it being a, a white label solution. So that's, it's not your app that's in front of the consumer. You've built technology that enables your customer, the originator, to empower his or her customers with this technology. But at the end of the day, that loan officer is always connected to that app. And is that? I imagine that's a that's a big benefit that uh, that your clients see is the ability again to 
leverage tech, help be more efficient, but still be the connection point and kind of the, the face to the transaction. Yeah, so I always say we get your color, your logo, your look into Apple and Google Play where they're, they're yeah. comfortable downloading it. From there, we are expanding our ecosystem to really everybody in the company. So we're trying to become the first culture app where your entire back office and loan officers, everybody can log in and look at that file as it goes through. We're leaning heavily into leveraging the APIs yep. of different software versus the traditional uh, single sign-on. So if people have APIs, we want to get them into the flow so that it's not just the consumer that's interacting with the app and using the push notifications and, and helping self-service, but the loan officers can look at those doc checklists and watch it go through and see where the document came from. The difference between us and other mobile app providers out there is the other mobile app providers are building the point of sales. And what we're looking to do is actually leverage those point of sales. Yeah. So the blends, the consumer connects, um, the B smarties and, and other companies, we're constantly in the lab right now and, and pivoting to where we are going to say, and this is the logical step. We love our look. We think our look looks like giving people credit karma, right? Yeah. But we're now taking a step back and saying, look, you log in. If you love Consumer Connect, then when they hit login, we're going to strip our look out there and they're going to be on Consumer Connect because you already committed your heart and soul to that process. So we're going to make it easy for you. And then one day, because we are a very customized shop, you want some credit karma pieces, then, then you can get them. Right. And, and so it all... I find like the whole, tr the loan itself moves on a bunch of linear tracks, but the views, the lens is different for different permissions. And that's why I, we're embracing being the first ones to bring more than the loan officer in. And I think it'll do a lot for the inefficiencies, but I think it'll do a lot for culture. Yeah. Like, you know, as we're going remote and as I'm interviewing the CEOs that have these virtues and convictions and beliefs, they're powerful. I mean, I'm lucky I don't leave this and go work for them sometimes because I want to run through a wall here in some of them. And that should be in an app. When you wake up in the morning, you should hear their message, you know, and be the best employee you can be, and they empower you to be it. And if everybody's on the same page, if everybody's allowed in the app versus just the loan officers are good enough to get an app and nobody else is, um, I think we can do a lot of change there. And I think there's a lot of vendors out there whose software – sometimes just stops the loan officer and they wish the underwriter would interact with it and they wish the processor and the closing coordinator. And the other thing I'm learning is some of those closing coordinators and loan officer assistants talk to the consumers a lot more than they did when I originated, right? Sure. So the loan officer's role of consumer interaction, it can't stop there anymore. It's almost like maybe we're just turning into a great track coach and we're going to make sure that Part of it's running, but part of it's passing that baton, right, on the four-way relay. Yeah. So that's what, that's what we're looking to be. And we're big into the white label. We went back to the, how we started fintech. I think fintech is you're either consumer-facing or you're white label. And yeah. I think industries, all of them, but specifically the mortgage industry, need to look at vendors that do white label and really become clients that invest because that's what – the banks did with Zelle. They were going to lose to Venmo their, their most profitable way, which was moving money. Right. The first hundred in 
were allowed to pay forward contracts and become part. I always say this, but they now own Zelle, which competes with Venmo. If they didn't do it, Venmo would, would yeah. take over. So when you have mortgage companies, fintech companies that are trying to just be consumer-facing and be a, be a fintech, and a lot of them will be coming, right, because they don't have that legacy software. Um, and, and it's really going to be a race for the life cycle of not the loans, which you hear a lot. I think it's the life cycle of the consumer. Uh, Rocket Mortgage just announced on their last quarterly call um, that they did 32,000 auto loans last year. Right. That's up 60%. Right, if you don't want a mortgage, get a home. So I think with as a rant, but I think like with the cost to to close a loan going up, there's just ancillary software you have to invest in. You have to invest in chatbots and things that weren't mortgage in the past. So you need to find ways to bring your revenue up, and I think it has to be selling other services beyond mortgage. I know it's so hard in the regulatory, and I don't even know the answers sometimes. But right. if the Rocket's doing it, at least copy them there, right? And so. Yeah, that's where fintech can help you. And I think white label companies need to be supported because otherwise the challenger is going to come in and steamroll everybody. Yeah, I love it. So we're we got a few minutes left. I want to I want to hit two topics quickly. The first one is, um, you, you know, you've you've kind of created this uh, mobile patio um, uh, uh, persona. I'll just call it right. And I first saw it on LinkedIn, I don't know, maybe it was six months ago, something like that. It could have been longer. And uh, it was cool. It was, a, it was a quick, you know, quick hit. Here's, here's some things we've, we've learned. Uh, you should be paying attention to these type of people. And then all of a sudden, I, I saw you, you pivot to Clubhouse. And uh, I joined a couple of your, uh, your... All right, we've got a few minutes left. Let's, uh, I'd like to close on a couple topics. Uh, the first is I've seen this mobile patio, right? And I wanna, I wanna ask you what the heck that is. I've been uh, kind of following that on LinkedIn for the past few months. And then um, I also noticed you were one of the first kind of in our space, in the mortgage space, to, to kind of jump in with both, uh, both feet into Clubhouse and uh, just maybe share with the audience, you know, how that's going and what the heck mobile patio is. Yeah, sure. So. Mobile Patio started with this idea, what we talked about. So I've been saying the world's going mobile. When I first started, 2013, the average person spent 18 minutes looking at their phone. It's now, eight years later, they now spend four hours and 36 minutes looking at their phone. And 92% of it is in native apps. So I have been saying it, and sometimes I feel... Maybe not everybody's listening. So that was it, right? I don't feel like everybody's listening. If you want to listen and hear these thoughts, join in the mobile patio. And then my content piece was I was showing my LinkedIn feed, just different pieces I liked. I thought it'd be cool to see other people's LinkedIn feed, and I would talk through it. And it actually was really well um, received, but I pivoted because about two weeks later, somebody outside of the industry told me about Clubhouse. And he said, you're going to love it, Michael. You can just authentically connect with people. I'm going to give you one of my invites. And so, yes, I was one of the first people that I know of that was on it. And I would go on at night. And then I would go on in the morning. And I would host these shows with um, 
these different people. Some I don't even talk to anymore. I, and so it was like morning radio. I had yeah. a, a loan officer on his way to a credit union in Michigan who was listening to us on his drive, like radio, right? Yeah. And then it segmented really well. So you had different people, and I talk about it on Mobile Patio, but you had early adopters like Catherine Peterson who helped really take the baton and take it to where it is today. And, and today, you from, and so what I do is I go on the Mobile Patio, and so if you want to know, I won't reveal it here, but hashtag Mobile Patio just tells people where to go on Clubhouse because it's not easy to navigate. And yeah. the reason I recognized it was going to be a success is – it mirror and matched the after you go to a conference in the mortgage industry, there's a time where there's events and events are either internal, like sponsored by the conference or they're external in the lobby or informal in the lobby. And then they're formal where you can go to a vendor as we've all thrown many of these events uh, as vendors. All these webinars we're going to, and I'm a board member of the Massachusetts Mortgage Bankers Association. We're planning our, uh, tech webinar as well, they missed that, right? And this filled yeah. that gap, and I thought it was awesome. And I still think it's awesome. So I just go on and I try and tell people where to go. And I noticed the one week I didn't do it, but Mobile Patio, there was no Clubhouse events that whole week on night, at night. So Interesting. I'm not saying it has to do with me, <laughs> but sometimes you got to push, push the industry and say keep going because I think we're yeah. at the point where it, people can burn out or keep it going. And I, I believe it's awesome. So yeah, every day I, every couple days a week, I'll get on and say where to go and where I think. And if I, if, if I recognize a new show, I'll, I'll mention it. Yeah. It's, it's been cool. I've, I've, uh, same thing. Usually in the evenings, I'll pop on for an hour, hour and a half, um, participate some listen mostly. And it's just, uh, it's been kind of cool to see, familiar familiar names and faces that are showing up in the room and to your point it kind of has that that post session conference feel whether it's at the lobby bar or or you know at a at a Fannie Mae concert or whatever the whatever the deal is so uh thanks for doing that it's been uh it's been cool to kind of see and and uh, uh and just just a different way to interact with folks uh again i think have heavily driven right by this pandemic um but it'll be fascinating to see if, you know, this becomes part of kind of the new way to, to engage and interact with folks. Yeah. So let's a, a yep, go ahead. If you're, thinking, if you're thinking of starting a company or you already are a vendor and you, you've hit uh, some mud, uh, you want to get unstuck, right? Or you're a realtor, a loan officer. You just want, you want to try something in your head. And, and Brian could talk about this. The hardest thing to do, which is supposed to be the right thing to do, is get focus groups within our industry. Getting right. 10 loan officers down and just asking them how they would use your product. It's, they just are too busy and, and yeah. they can't make it or they won't show or you plan it and all you have to do is go on Clubhouse. Yeah. And that's the most fascinating thing for me. By not calling it a focus group, you can lead, you can host like what's ways to be more efficient, what's ways to send out pre-approvals. And they will, whatever it is, it's just, it just keeps going and going. Yeah. I've, I've done them during the day. It's like a six-hour focus group, <laughs> which would cost thousands of thousands of dollars or just, you know, tens of hours of wasted time in your head that you never get you never get to the <laughs> ground, right? So that's uh, a great place at Clubhouse and a great way to use it, any, any vendor in the mortgage industry. 
Yeah, no, it's, that's a, that's a great tip. So, uh, this has been awesome. I true. I so appreciate you coming on and being part of, uh, FinTech Fridays and, and, uh, I want to close with uh, just asking you to share kind of who you are outside of, of our industry. Let, let the listeners get to know you a little bit. Just your, your, your moment to kind of, uh, I guess, go from LinkedIn to Facebook if we want to keep it on the, uh, the, uh, the, the social side. So go ahead. Sure. I'm, I'm an old soul. Uh, so meaning I join a lot of groups where – you get to see old school or the old way of doing things. I'm a huge fan of rotary. I've been a Rotarian forever, um, service above self. And I've watched how and fascinated that there's a certain age point. And then below that, there's three of us, right? And I've left for a couple of years to do this, go back to meetings. And it's like, it's still that magic three number or, and I, and I love Rotary. I volunteer in everything that is available locally. I also like their their global projects, from eradicating polio to water projects. I'm just a big fan of that service above self. I actually, before I started this company, I when I first started in the mortgage industry started like with nothing right and so i couldn't afford bni and so i started my own networking group with a twist where we were going to adopt a lot of the bni traits and also the rotary traits and so by the end when i switched to this i think we had 12 chapters we had 120 people we were raising fifty thousand dollars every year for different charities uh through our events uh and i just i have a taste and a love for networking so when I went into this industry, I think everybody saw me. It was easy. It was just easy, too fast, too quick. Yeah. So I think I had a lot of fun in the beginning. I had never known there was a world where they spent a lot of money on, uh, you know, conferences and 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 I and I enjoyed the the networking and trying to to learn about people and and and, and earn friendships, right? Sure. So now with COVID, um, I'm married to a beautiful and understanding wife, Emily, and we have a beautiful daughter, Claire, that we had during, really, she's grown up during COVID, right? She's sure. 19 months old. And so I think it's really taught me a lot or have, has helped me mature and grow as a person. So I'm looking forward to getting back out and meeting all the friends I was talking about at those conferences, but not just as a fun friend, but as a fellow father and, you know, husband and sort of talk the stories about what we've gone through, about balancing family and working from home. Uh, I'll leave on one thing with family. I always say uh, one of the things I'm most proud I do is I belong to the Italian club, Michael Kelleher Italian club, right? <laughs> and uh, I get to play uh, with my father, my 74-year-old father, Bocci. So we play every year oh, yeah. from June to September uh, it's a really cool time every Wednesday night. I, I mean, I, I, I have a lot of passion for bocce. So if anybody wants to talk, there you bocce, go. Uh, we have a lot of war stories of playing. Uh, we play on a gravel pit. We roll the bocce ball and we get to tell stories. And again, it's another, in conclusion, it's another place where the old souls and the young souls get to interact and they do it. And I think the common thing is 
a lot of these are, are done in person in weekly yeah. events, right? Where you, where you do build friendships. And so looking forward to getting back out and meeting everybody in the industry and, and firing those friendships back up and helping yeah. the industry move towards this FinTech world. But uh, at the same time, understanding that you will need humans just as much now as you did before FinTech came along. No question. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for, for joining us. Uh, Hopefully uh, you enjoyed the time. It's uh, it, this is a, a work in progress. I'm, I'm not a. Uh, I'm used to being on your side of the of the uh, the desk, so to speak, on these. So I'm still learning how to how to navigate and be a host. But I appreciate you joining us and uh, look forward to that that first conference uh, post session cocktail that we can uh, clink glasses and, and uh, break bread again. So thank you. Yep. Thank you again. Thank you, and I'm looking forward to watching not just this episode, but all your episodes on Roku. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everybody. The awkward finish. <laughs>